You know, sometimes I feel like 24 hours is just not enough to get everything done that we need to do. Especially if you're a creative or an actor, you have to study sides, you have to self-tape, you have to submit, you have to keep up with your website, you have to go to networking events and school and classes and read books and there's so much that you have to do that sometimes it's hard to keep up with everything else, especially a website. I know so many artists who always complain about, oh, I've let my website slide or it's been forever since I've updated it. Well, what if that wasn't a problem? That's why I want to talk to you about RadPortfolios.com, a wonderful website design company focused on you, creatives. They will build you a website for your acting career. They will upload resumes and photos and reels as you get them in real time. You just have to send them to them and they'll upload them in minutes. You're fine. You don't have to worry about it. You can be reading a book. Boom, your headshot comes up. You can always keep your website updated with RadPortfolios.com. Now, usually there's a startup cost of quite a bit of money. But if you use our code HUSTLE, you get half off that startup cost. And then you get everything else for just a monthly fee. It's just nothing. And you keep your website updated so you can keep booking. So check out radportfolios.com and use our keyword hustle to get your discount today so you can get cast tomorrow. My name is Hillary Levi, and I'm a creative executive at Verve Violation. I make TV shows for the internet, and I am the hustle. Welcome to episode 79 of the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, a weekly show inspiring artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the struggles of those hustling towards success. Hello, it is I, your host, Daniel Tuttle, and I am incredibly excited to bring you our very first interview of 2019 with creative executive Hillary Levi. Hillary Levi moved to Los Angeles from Kennesaw, Georgia to go to school at the University of Southern California. She has worked her way through internships, assistant desks, unemployment, and more to finally becoming a creative executive at Elation, a media company with a streaming platform called Verve, V-R-V. In this interview, we discuss Hillary's journey from college to the workplace, we hear about her ups and downs, and we discuss the benefits of therapy and even hear how Hillary received a job opportunity through Twitter. That's right, Twitter. Now, first, we want to make sure you're following us on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast and Twitter at LA Hustlecast. We share posts to inspire you, educate you, and sometimes make you laugh. You will also know when new episodes become available. Another way to do that is to subscribe to us on your platform of choice. That way, you always get our new episodes when they come out. Finally, we want to continue to grow our League of Hustle, that's you, so make sure you're sharing our podcast with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from it, and also leave us a review on iTunes. The more reviews and downloads we receive, the more visible we are on the platform. All right, guys, that's it for me. Now, our first interview of 2019 with creative executive Hillary Levi. Let the hustle begin. It was weird because when I first 
drove out when we not drove out. We flew out to LA and we visited UCLA and USC. And I was like, this city is gorgeous. I'm gonna, it's gonna be great, and I'm gonna love living here. And like, it's gonna be awesome. But we I'm were staying. Be, I'm gonna be the queen of LA. Yes, <laughs> we were gonna even even the parts that were like dirty had like a certain joie de vivre to it's them. Dirty, you know, scruffy. Grungy. Yes, grunge. <laughs> so like a I can certain taste the city yes, just walking it was around. A, a poetic patina, if you will. <laughs> um, and uh, name my ska band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I loved it. And then I think, as many people who move here, the first three years are the worst. And you're like, this place is fucking dirty. And I hate it. And it smells. And everyone's an asshole. I can't afford to live here. I can't afford to live here. And I don't have a car. And Please tell me you just kind of said that stuff to yourself like that, like alone in your room. Like, I don't like it here. Yeah, no, <laughs> I probably, I for sure did that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I still had that catch net. Like, I still had a family that, you know, could afford to send me there. I still had, like, friends. And, you know, it's, it's you sort of feel like in it when you're you're so, you feel like you're going through it alone. But really, you're like. You're you're a middle class white girl. You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be okay. You'll be fine. Uh, So, what is that transition then of going of being a student at USC then to Mm -hmm, now being mm -hmm. in Los Angeles pursuing it? Yeah. So, you know, being in LA, the, the the benefit of going to USC is that you are in LA, and there are lots of people who are Trojans who work in the business. Uh, and so there is that bit of a network. Um, my second internship that became my first like job, my boss was, went to USC. So, uh, you know, it was, it was helpful. And I, I got connected to that internship because of my friend who I had met through the cinema fraternity that I was in. And she was like, oh, hey, you should, if you want to do an internship, you should, uh, check this out. And so it was like, it was, it, it was your sort of own mini network within the business. Um, were there any classes you would say that like you felt prepared you the most or impacted you the most for kind of getting out of school and going towards that? So when I was just to give you a little bit of background of sort of like how I was a production major that hated being on set. Um, I was, I got on set and I was like, I don't, this is not for me. I, I can't actually physically stand for more than a few hours at a time. So like there are pictures of me like sitting on Apple boxes in between takes. Cause I just was like, I can't actually stand. Uh, and I was like this, I wanted to be a cinematographer and I wasn't really good at like lighting and like the math to like figure out like how you need to light a scene and like f-stops and that spatial awareness that I just don't didn't have um and so I was like well I don't know what I want to do and I took my first screenwriting class and I was like I am not a screenwriter at all but I love talking about this and this makes a lot of sense to me because Three-act structure is like a puzzle, and if you just drop these things in at these certain times, in theory, your story should work. Uh, that is, of course, not – that is very simplified of how storytelling works in this business. But, but, but you're not wrong. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm currently working on a script with a friend of mine, and we met this last week, and that's pretty much what we did is looked at the pieces that we had already set up, scenes and different ideas, and they go, okay, we have three acts. 
how how do we fit it all in? And so it is very much that's just a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was on math team. So like pu- puzzles were really when I was in high school, I was on math team. So it made a lot of sense to me um, or like a language. It's just, you know, you have a, a subject and a verb and, you know, an adjective. And this is how you form a sentence. So uh, that's just sort of what. I looked at screenwriting like it's just one big sentence and putting these parts together. Uh, So I would say my screenwriting class was really, I had this one teacher and I just taught me everything I knew about how to talk about a screenplay. And that was really important because I was like, how do I talk about scripts for a living? And my friends were like, you need to be a manager or you need to be development executive. And I was like, what's development? (laughs) They're like, you need to get an internship. So um, yeah, yeah, it was, so the screenwriting class was really important. And then I took a grad level class uh, that was on the Sony lot taught by one of the executives there. And he basically taught us about how all the different parts of a studio work. And it was called the studio system. And we had different speakers from every department come in every week. And then we put together presentations. And it was really helpful for me to understand the world that I was stepping into and how everybody fits together. And that making a movie is such a collaborative process outside of the physical making of the movie and that you know when you're going to a green light committee all the departments need to agree that this is a movie that they can make money off of and that was phenomenal and really important in my development and just knowing and securing that that is what I wanted to get into so you moved on to trying to get internships mm-hmm. and so what were your paths to try to grab those and yeah and kind of just talk about Internships. What? How For was sure. that? For sure. So I. Oh, because I was just going to say, so many of our guests, you know, we've talked to actors mm-hmm. or filmmakers and stuff. This is very different. I'm super excited mm-hmm. to hear about this process. Yeah. Well, um, internships. I have very strong feelings about. Ditto. <laughs> yeah. Um, my path with internships was very, I think, different than a lot of my peers were. I didn't really have any connections. I didn't know where to start. I didn't hadn't really done anything and hadn't really been on like shoots and things like that. And here were all my friends and they were getting internships at like Bad Robot and Warner Brothers and all these places. And I didn't know how to get those. And so I uh, there's this thing called the UTA job list, which, you know, for those who are listening, who don't know what that is. The UTA is an agency, one of the big top like four agencies. And they come out with this list uh, about every week that gets sent out to, uh, you know, executives and assistants and people in the business about like what jobs are available. And uh, you can submit jobs to this list. And I just went on there and I went into the internship uh, list and I saw one that was like, oh, work for, you know, not work, but being interned for this voiceover and commercial talent agency. And I thought for a little while that I'd wanted to be in casting or talent. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just do this. And I got an interview and I didn't think the interview went really well, <laughs> but they, they wanted me to come aboard anyway. And it ended up being an amazing experience. And they were just so wonderful and like good mentors and, you know, taught me basically how actors go on auditions and how they make money and how voiceover works and all of that. What were your responsibilities? as the So I was the receptionist mm-hmm. and this is why I have a hard time with internships. And this is my frustration. And I can talk to this 
you know, I'm happy to talk about this more later when we talk about sort of I've, I've run two internship programs. Right. And I think that internships, I'm not going to say internships are a scam. I just think that internships are taking advantage of people who are so passionate and not not desperate that's not the word i'm looking for but they they so want to work in this business and so these people are taking advantage of these kids and these students and you know i've had so many interns who came to me who are like i want to do this internship but i i can't afford the college credit internships that you're not paid for are not free you still have to pay for college credit and at usc that's five thousand dollars for one internship class it is ridiculous and it is not in any way equitable for women and people of color who are trying to get ahead in this business, who have no connections and little to no money. It is just not a balanced system. And, you know, I had one agent that I I didn't work for him, but I worked with him. And when I worked at an agency and he was like, well, if you want to be a producer, only go to a company that has money unless you're independently wealthy. And that was so indicative and is still indicative of the system that we work in. And, you know, I think now after the the Fox stuff that came out years ago with the Black Swan interns, more companies now are paying. And but it's it's we there's a long way to go. I agree. I, I think, and it's hard because there's people like who come in who may not have the ability, even if it's not for college credit, to work a non-paid internship mm-hmm. for eight hours a day, you know, or th- ten hours, six hours a day, five days a week, and not be paid for it. They can't live. You can't live in L.A. No. and do that unless you have family here that you live with and pay for everything else. Mm-hmm. And so it is. It is hard. And I think there's also this thing of like there are other people outside of college students who would love an opportunity like this. And I think so meant to be a creative in LA, you uh, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about before you have to do be more than what you came here to be. And sometimes that happens later on in life. And if they're only looking for college kids to do it, it limits the opportunities that you can do it. And, and, and then it goes to the whole idea that it's a ladder system where you have to start as an intern, then go to an assistant and then do this. And it's like, well, what if I'm 35 and I just moved here? I can't I can't be an intern, mm-hmm. but I have experience in other industries mm-hmm. assisting executives. What is so different about scheduling meetings for industry people than for someone that works in another industry? Even though the subject is different, I'm still scheduling a lunch. I'm still <laughs> scheduling a meeting. Yeah, that I will say that there is I would uh, in in defense of the entertainment assistant since I was one for almost eight years. It is a, a way different type of thinking than any other business. And even going into, I worked in comics for a year, and even I consider that entertainment, but even they had a completely different way of thinking about efficiency and and getting work done and how to talk to people. That it is, while it is technically the same thing, you are still scheduling a lunch and doing all these things. It's so political. It's so political. And you have to be extremely careful about the way you word an email and what dates do you offer and like who gets rescheduled on and who doesn't. And like it's this. I mean, there's definitely definitely more politics in that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that stuff can be taught. 
You know what I mean? In certain mm-hmm. ways, you can learn. You learn who's important mm-hmm. and who's not in between that relationship. So that that's where yeah. the fr- I think the frustrating fr- thing for me is the basis of it mm-hmm. is very general. And so if you've done it before and you have experience, it gets frustrating when it's like, oh, why can't people like that mm-hmm. just be in there? Yeah, yeah. And speaking of internships, you know, at least currently, you you have an internship. You're not getting paid. What are you doing then to get paid to afford life in Los Angeles? So can you speak on like, you know, just the type of day jobs you had to do on top of your internships? For sure. As I said, I'm very fortunate that I my family had the financial means to send me in to pay for my rent and things like that. And I didn't really have to worry about like my housing. And I had, you know, some food money and things like that. But in terms of it, it wasn't like. It wasn't enough to completely do all the day-to-day things. And Mm -hmm. so I was extremely fortunate. Uh, In the 2008 election year, I got very involved in a lot of political stuff on campus. And I wrote an op-ed for the Daily Trojan, the USC newspaper. And the way that was working is is the the on-site USC Unruh Institute of Politics would do these brown bag lunches where – that like Monday or Tuesday, a student on each side of the aisle would write an op-ed about a certain topic and then they would meet on Wednesday and then they would have a debate about it. And so I wrote an op-ed about education and then I went on this panel and uh, talked about education and the guy who was running the institute was like, why are you a film major? <laughs> you, you should be working in politics. And uh, he said, come back and do another one. And it's like, okay, fine. So I did the last panel in the series right before the election. And he came up to me and he goes, are you you looking for work? And I said, yeah, because I had just come back from my leave of absence and I was failing my classes. And I was like, I'm failing out of my dream school. This is a whole thing. And I wasn't getting regimented and I wasn't like doing the work. And I was I was battling with depression and doing, you know, trying to recover from all of this stuff that I had gone through my freshman year. And uh, I was like, yes, money and a job. And like, uh, I have to be at a certain place at a certain time on a certain day. Like, yeah, I'll do it. And so that January, I started working there as a student staffer and it completely changed my life and got got me on the right path, but then also put money in my pocket. So I was very fortunate that I didn't have to take a lot of day jobs when I was in college. I was working at the Institute. I was getting paid pretty well as a student and uh, didn't have to do like a work study thing where you have to like fill out a form. I was just an employee. I say that just sounds like a really cool opportunity as a young person to be, I don't know, college campuses are a inherently can be a political place. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so great that you found an opportunity where you can learn and grow and also get, you know, some money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Um, So after you kind of graduated, you left school, Mm -hmm. what was your next steps to kind of continue pursuing the stream to to go into development? I started off at an internship at a uh, co-financier production company that had a deal with Warner Brothers. And I took this internship like I said my friend had been an intern there and I was it was my last semester senior year and I was very desperate and I was like I have no like premier internships at like any of the big companies that had names and I was like this is just not going to work because I had been working at the political institute and like trying to make money and like 
live. And so I didn't really have time for internships and be in film school and do, I was doing summer school as well to make up for all the classes I failed. So I didn't have a lot of time to do internships or the money. I did more. Yeah. And uh, so I was just kind of not crying, but being very scared about my future. And my friend was like, here, let me just send your resume over to these people. And I did. And uh, I went and I did the interview and I was very fortunate. I got offered the internship in the room. And so I did that. And in the spring semester, I learned everything about how to write screenplay coverage and how to cover a desk and all of that. And just long conversations with my boss about how the business works and what I want to do with my life. And he really mentored me and he sort of became like an older brother while I was there and really like protected me when I sort of started going off on interviews and sort of gave me the like <laughs> the entertainment version of the talk about like how to protect yourself as a woman in this business uh, for him being a straight white man. <laughs> so, uh, but I was, I graduated, I took a month off to kind of, clear my head my parents were getting a divorce so i was like i just need some time to chill and go home and sit by the pool for a month and uh came back and they were letting me continue my internship paid now because i was no longer at school and couldn't get college credit Mm -hmm. and then one day i was coming back from an interview at a big talent agency and i got a phone call from my boss at the internship and he said our assistant quit uh would you please would you mind temping for us? And he was a VP. And then the other boss was an EVP of marketing. And and the VP was in production development. And I was just kind of hemmed and hawed. And I was like, I don't know. It's a double desk. Like, and it's an EVP. Like, that's such a high level. Like, I should be working for like a director. And, you know, and he was like, Hillary, this is when you say yes. Mm-hmm. And you just do it. <laughs> Get the experience. And I was like, okay. And it wasn't for forever. Uh, and fortunately, I stayed on until they found somebody new. And then he helps get me connected to the agency that I would then work for, Gersh. And uh, it just sort of kept going on from there. I think it's interesting, though, uh, you had this moment of like an opportunity present itself and you got scared because you think you're supposed to go down another path. Mm -hmm. I think it's that that is the right time to say yes in a way and that like you don't know what's going to happen from that opportunity. And we all think we're like, oh, I'm only supposed to do this. But if you take this opportunity, it can lead to all of these things to come. Yeah, absolutely. I had a professor once in uh, the summer program that I did that he said, you know, if it scares the shit out of you, it's probably the right decision. Uh, so, you know, about like life choices, not necessarily like, do I go skydiving even though I'm afraid of heights? No, you don't. Uh, but I mean, you can if you want to get over your yeah, fear of heights. That's not going to get me over my fear of heights. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy ride can't get me over that. So it's not going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, I think in terms of like career assistance, you have to take risks. And I think also in that moment, there is looking back on it now, there was probably that imposter syndrome going on of like, well, I'm not, I couldn't possibly be qualified for this job. I was, I had a lot to learn. And I think, you know, they say that women only apply for jobs when they feel like they meet all criteria, whereas men apply for jobs when they apply to most of the criteria, like 75%. Mm-hmm. And I was at that like 75%, 60%. And, uh, you know, because I had this boss who was like, just say yes, don't say no. And I learned like the basic stuff about being an assistant and 
uh, and not just from him, but from her, the marketing uh, executive who was like, never come into my office without a pen and paper. And like to this day, like mm-hmm. always that pen and paper. I've had bosses be like, you don't need that. And I was like, no, I always need it. Oh. So, you know, it's instilling those things and putting them in your DNA. Right. Um, just kind of not not wanting to cross over all everything, yeah. but from then to now and, and from school to now, uh, you know, we we know very well that Los Angeles can become a uh, hard place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be very lonely sometimes and and the and the frustration and the struggle and and the hustle can just be very overwhelming mm-hmm. and sometimes defeating how have you kind of found a way to overcome those moments or uh find peace and and, and take that moment with yourself lots and lots and lots of therapy uh, <laughs> agreed um i i think that everyone should try to if they can afford it go to therapy. And there are lots of resources out there for people who don't necessarily have the money to see a therapist or, you know, somebody uh, you can talk to uh, if you need help. But I feel like it is so imperative to just like we go get our eyes checked out and go to the doctor. We need to go to therapy and just it doesn't need to be every week like some people like, you know, it doesn't need to be very intense, but just every now and then like go just get that gut check of, you know, am I being too hard on myself? Am I breaking myself down? Am I going down an unhealthy path? But then on top of that, and this took a very long time to do, I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that it's very easy, is finding your people. Finding the people that you identify with and who accept you who for, for who you are, that is so invaluable. And I, I don't even think I really got that until like two years ago and I've been here for 11 years but I I really it takes a while to feel like you come into your own and I think it's important to put yourself out there and you know it and again still very simplified but that's how I've sort of made my friends is like I like playing Dungeons and Dragons you like playing Dungeons and Dragons like let's do it and and you know they're my really good friends nice I I Hmm. think it's all about growth you're the, the executive said, here's this job opportunity. And there was that moment of being scared mm-hmm. because growth can be scary. Mm-hmm. And therapy, I can say from experience as well, can be scary to think maybe this is something I need to do. Mm-hmm. Reaching out to someone who says like, hey, you want to go surfing or do you want to go play this game with me or something like. Can it, it can feel daunting because it changes your world in that moment. But if you take that step forward and say yes. I think it does make living here a lot easier. Yeah. There's a great group here in LA called the Southern California Counseling Center. That's a nonprofit counseling center where the you pay based on your income. And they also do walk-ins. It's like 20 bucks for walk-ins. Great. And it's a lot of it's graduate students who are trying to, you know, get their graduate or their doctorate mm-hmm. and stuff like that who are uh, volunteering and stuff. And, you know, I think it's so important that if you don't focus on that stuff, that it will c- continue to carry you and affect you. And so it is scary. It's mm-hmm. scary to go in and face these wounds and these things that may be bothering you. It doesn't have to be something that's happened to you or it could be just something that's in you that's developed over time. And mm-hmm. so um, that is, it's, it's important to have a healthy mindset to be able to work in this non-healthy sometimes business. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, being an assistant, I I call it professional codependency, which is one of the un 
healthiest kind of relationships that you can have. You are literally paid to be unhealthy and you need to keep that in check. You need to have those boundaries. And I think we, you know, this, this, this business is so risk averse sometimes that we build these walls of nothing can phase me. I am a robot. Like I'm just, I'm going to power through everything. And I think that that is important sometimes when you have to get through something really difficult or a project and you just need to like barrel through. But that is not a way to live day to day or hour by hour. It's not a way to have relationships with your family and your friends and your loved ones. And you need to understand and recognize your own humanity. And I think we forget that we're human beings. <laughs> mm, mm. So that's important. We're walking, breathing things yeah. that have emotions yeah. and, and, and psyches. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Finally, we got someone to quote RuPaul Thank you. on the podcast. Oh, you know what? We can close it up here, folks. It's over. Thank you. No more episodes needed. This Final has been Hollywood episode. Hustle. Thank you. Good night. Signing off. Good night, everybody. Live. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> going, going kind of back to your assist, being an assistant, or at least a temp yeah, assistant at this for time. Sure. Um, what did you take out of that? What was kind of the, some of the struggles for you in that when you were working that job and that temp, what are, that temp job? The the yeah temp assistant mm-hmm. position. And what were things that maybe you felt? Wow, I didn't know I could do this. Like some of the successes. Yeah, uh, I think the hardest part for me was working the marketing side. I cannot sell like a dying man water like it's just not something's gonna happen is that a saying uh, <laughs> maybe i think she just sold it is something. now yeah, yeah. yeah. um i think it. i've heard it before somewhere it anyway uh yeah it credit where credit like is due yeah there was a moment where i was trying to dial so the marketing executive i worked for was international marketing and distribution so not domestic uh and we had a team I think in like Taiwan or Hong Kong or something like that. And then we had a team in Athens. And so there were like four different time zones of like all these and and Australia because it's an Australian company. And so it's like all these different time zones and people had to be on different calls on different days at different times. And I was having to like confirm with Greece and confirm with Tokyo or wherever and, you know, confirm with Sydney. And and I was just like having a hard time getting the – the times to like line up. And then one day I was trying to dial in for the first call ever, the first international call. And I did not know how to dial out to international. Um, Because I think we all know that sort of every country has a country code, but if you're dialing from an office number, sometimes you have to dial a certain set of numbers. Like you have to dial like 9011, like before you dial an international number for most phones at, at like an office when on your cell phone, you don't need to do that. And I was like, I wasn't, I couldn't figure it out. And we were trying to call like London and, and my boss was like, why am I not on this call? And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to dial international. And she was like, you should just tell me that. Yeah. Like, just tell me because I will tell you how to do it. And that was in that moment that I was like, wow, I'm allowed to like admit that I don't know something. And I think we're told that we can't say, I don't know. But she knew I'd never done this before. So, like, she's not an idiot. She's a professional. <laughs> and she knows that I've never done this. So why why would I know something like that? Um, and it was, it was, I felt in a moment I was like, 
in trouble, but also being given kindness at the same time. So it was it was an interesting moment. And I was like, OK, I can get through this. It's, it's always so. better to admit you don't know something like that. That's maybe something a little more, that's especially particular to maybe that office or to a, an industry. It's like, I don't what's the number to do this? Because it's better to ask permission than ask for forgiveness. Yeah. In, in that instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I had just said. You know, I've never dialed international before. Is there someone who does know how? I could have gotten her on the call on time if I had just said that instead of trying to figure it out myself and then she's late. So that's important. Right. And so then what is the path from being from the temp to actually being an executive assistant? Yeah, so (laughs) there's no path. As I'm sure many people have said (laughs) on this podcast, there's absolutely no path. Um, I... That's a path more of just pads that you jump on. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I was about to say, it's kind of these links, like you get this linkage. And so my development boss at my temp job knew an agent at Gersh, and then that agent got sent my resume. He sent that to HR. They had a job opening in what was called Alternative at the time, which we now know or call as like digital, YouTube, you know, things like that. They might still call it alternative in other places, but I didn't want to do that at the time. I was like, hey, this is really great. I really would like to work at this agency, but I not this desk is not for me. Um, and I would happily go into the mail room if you had something available so I could work in on the feature lit team, so writers and directors of movies. And they didn't have anything open, but I kept following up and following up and following up with the coordinator in that department. And finally, when they had something open, he was like, why don't you come in for an interview? And I was interviewing with another agency at the time, and they had offered me a job on like a Wednesday and Thursday. They needed an answer that day. And I was like, can I have 24 hours? And they were like, sure. And I went on Thursday and I met with the head of the department and I was like, I'm going to take a swing. I'm going to take a risk. And I sat down with the head of department and I said, look, I understand that I'm just like interviewing for a mailroom job, but I've been offered a job elsewhere and I would much rather work here. If you were to offer me a job right now in this room, I will take it. I want to work here. And that day, the the head of HR was uh, out of the office that day and they had her call from where she was that afternoon to offer me the job. Wow. I got real lucky just by being honest and saying, like, I want to work here. Right. It's passion. So, People love passion, mm-hmm. man. Well, and it's also just it's another thing to just go out and state like this is what I want, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so often it's so easy to just keep saying, you know, OK, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But to go out and say, no, this is what I want to do. Can you do this for me? If not, I'm going. Yeah, you also, but you also do have to know when it is the right time to do that. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I had consulted with people being like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not sure. And it was the coordinator in that department who was like, just tell him how you feel. Like, maybe he'll respond well to that. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he really liked it. And he liked that, you know, tenacity. Yeah. Uh, and I did that with my last job. The, the job I have now is, as I went, I went for that. And I basically was like, look, I want this job. Like, how? This, give it to me <laughs> like, I, no I was like no, I no, really no. I know that this is what you're looking for and I can be that person for you so it you was spunk. Well, yeah I like to think I so I hate spunk no. sorry I had to yeah. do a Mary Tyler Moore so what were your so you, you got this job that you, you demanded to have 
Well, I don't know about demanded. <laughs> no, 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 but you, 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 you fought for uh, really hard mm-hmm. to get. Um, what did you take from that job and what? how did you make your the best use of that job? I wasn't totally 100% not sold on being an agent. I was very open to the idea. And I thought if I landed in the right department on the right desk, I could definitely see myself being an agent. And I quite enjoyed being in an agency. I think a lot of people have negative experiences and maybe end up at an agency that's not right for them. Um, agencies are sort of like pledging a fraternity or sorority. They all have different styles. They all have different speeds and different temperaments. And, you know, Gersh is a family run agency and it's smaller and they're, you know, I think they have a lot of gumption and the assistants there are kind of like a family and they stick together even when they argue and, you know, so-and-so said this thing about me and whatever. And like, you just, at the end of the day, you're there to service the clients. And like, if, if you can just do that and get through that and understand that you're all at the end of the day, you're all trying to move up. You're all trying to be agents, executives, managers, whatever. And that your bosses are just trying to get their clients work. Then like get over your ego. Uh, so I thought it was a good, a good place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been warned about other agencies by other agents being like, don't go to that one because you're a woman. Anywhere in this business for women is difficult. And I know, you know, this has been a through line in a lot of the things I've been saying. It's just because it's true. And it's been very pervasive in my career. But uh, I think I went to the right place. I had, I ended up working for an agent that I really enjoyed. And I wasn't actually sure I wanted to work for her at first. uh, But it ended up being like the right decision. And we got along really well. And I worked for her for a year and like three months or a little over a year. And like... I'm getting lunch with her like in a few weeks and and she that foundation of working at an agency is so invaluable. And I know a lot of people who have not worked at agencies who are like, I didn't work at an agency and I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. But there are benefits to working at an agency of just the camaraderie that you get working with all these assistants. They call it your grad school. You're just getting paid and you're not having to go to class, but your class is your desk. And you learn everybody in the business. You learn where all the deals are. You learn who all the executives are. You know, you cover, you help your boss cover studios. And that, and by covering studios, I mean your boss will call all the executives at those studios that they're covering and like literally run down the list of projects and get all the updates on what the projects are. Mm-hmm. And so that's what covering means. And it's sort of like, oh, well, how can we be helpful? How can we put our clients on these projects? And, you know, just keeping keeping the conversation going so that they think of the agency and their clients when they're looking for people for projects. Uh, and it was really great. And I got a lot of amazing opportunities. And uh, I got to start covering uh, a studio when I was there as an assistant. And I got a lot of you know benefits. And because it was a smaller agency, I was allowed to kind of plant my flag and you know show people that I was serious. And nice. it was good. But ultimately, I, I knew that leaving was going to be a good decision and and go, trying to at least work in development to make sure that this is what I wanted to do was the right thing. Right. So development, can you share uh, just with our listeners real yeah. quick what development is? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've read as simply as possible. <laughs> it's, I've read so many books and like read, you know, watched 
you know, YouTube series on like the film industry and stuff like that. And, and if they, you want if you have any th- you'd like to suggest, please mention those as well. I really liked the Crash Course series on on the film industry, but the Crash Course series, like many other books, like, you know, you know, film industry for dummies or whatever, a lot of them skip over what development is. And they're just like pre-production. I'm like, no, 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 no. They're like, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that happens. People write a script and then it's pre-production. I said, no. God, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> there's like a 10-year gap. <laughs> there's sometimes a 10-year gap in between. Sometimes even longer. Those things, sometimes even yeah. way longer. Development hell. That's what development hell is. It's just like this, this you know, 10-year gap of trying to get stuff made. Um, so development is a whole range of things that happen. Um, but to put it very simply, uh, it is not just writing a script. Uh, sometimes a script can already be written, and then a producer, production company, or studio will then option that script, uh, meaning they will have a certain amount of time to sell it somewhere or develop it in-house uh, and get it better and then sell it uh, to a studio or uh, a financier or get it, you know, pre-sold overseas or wherever you want you want to do. Um, and so my favorite part of, that's my favorite part of development is finding scripts, finding writers, and either developing the script with them based on a take that they have and then they go off and write the script and they do what's called passes and polishes and drafts uh, to get it to the point where it it's ready to be sent out into the world. And like that's sort of what I love about it is being the script therapist. But I love that uh, term, a script therapist. Yeah. You're, you're allowing the script to become what it actually wants yes. to be. Mm-hmm. And have you ever worked a lot with in terms of the studio notes? Of, you know, once a script is, you know, taken over by a studio and the studio has their say of what mm-hmm. they want. Yes and no. Um, yes. In the in the the way of when I was I would see that come in when I was an assistant at the agency. I saw it from the network side when I worked at Freeform. So TV's, you know, similar but different because it has a much faster pace mm-hmm. and you're having to give notes on something the next day or two days later. Uh, and so, especially if the show is in production and you just have to go, 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 go. Uh, but yes, I am, I have seen it, but, uh, both on the receiving end of our clients getting notes, I haven't really, I didn't, wasn't privy to see all of the notes. Sometimes they would just have a conversation with my boss after they had their notes call. Sometimes my boss would be on the notes call and I would, you know, listen in as is very, common for assistants to listen to their boss's phone calls because that is how you learn through osmosis of like the language and the jargon and how you mm-hmm. talk to people and talk to different people and you uh, write down words you don't know and go find them uh <laughs> yep yep or i would go in and like make notes and then come in and tell my boss i was like what are these words? what is this what is this <laughs> what is what does this mean i can't read your writing oh, yeah so. <laughs> let me ask you as, you as you're going through kind of these jobs mm-hmm. um from you know uh, internships and uh, assistants and executive assistants are you doing anything outside to possibly like develop and hone your skills are you um you know maybe reading friends scripts mm-hmm. are you uh trying maybe to develop your own in you know indie side projects yeah uh i don't recommend doing your own indie side projects <laughs> unless you have money or you're going to do a kickstarter um, or you have friends who can fund it. And I personally did not want to be in the indie world. So I didn't think that that was something that was worth my time. 
I know other people who did and they're doing very well for themselves and they produced a bunch of movies and things like that. And that's great. That's not what I want to do. Um, I always knew that I was going to be like a genre kid who either worked on a feature side at like a major studio to do blockbuster movies or it was going to be like a TV network or a studio that did a bunch of like sci-fi fantasy stuff. Like that was my goal. And so doing the indie thing was not going to work for me. Um, but I read it. I tried and I still try. I'm not the best at it. Reading my friend scripts, giving them notes, sitting down, talking about it. When I was at Gersh, I was trying to find clients. So when I finally brought in a client who just sold her first show like yay. a few weeks ago, I'm oh, so excited for her. Um, congratulations. Um, yay. She was like my first client. We actually gone to college together and uh, it was great. And I, so I like worked on stuff with her. And so that was sort of my like outside work of like my husband like, well, she's technically my client, but she's really yours because you brought her in and like you do the notes, you take care of it and you tell me where you, you want to get where you want to send it out. Oh, wow. So I was like, okay. So See, that's it's so good to hear when you have mentors and people that really take the time to prepare you for their position in a way, like not yeah. taking over their position, but that that same position, because yeah. you hear horror stories all the time of people who have had terrible instances with bosses who didn't give a crap about them, did not teach them anything. Yeah, and I've you, had those yeah. bosses. Yeah. I have had those bosses, but I am fortunate that when I was in an agency, I had a boss who was like this. And and some sometimes it was, you know, uh, oh, so you don't want to be an agent? You want to be you want to be a development executive? Okay, prove it to me. Prove to me you can do this. Go ahead and, and hop on the phone and give notes on the script that you read to my client. And I was like terrified and excited, but I developed a rapport with that writer. I got to know him very well. Um, I Then I did it with other clients. And not only that, but one of the clients is like my extremely good friend. He and his wife are like family to me. And like when I got let go from a job. They made me dinner. And like it was connecting with clients and connecting with the people that you work with and around in a very meaningful, genuine way is, you know, that's how you sort of get through this kind of shitty times in the business. Um, how So how did you, how did the freeform uh, position, how did you end up there? What was the path to that? So I had three-ish jobs in between working at Gersh and working at Freeform. Um, I worked at a transmedia production company. Um, then I worked in comics for a year and that was so invaluable and like really fun. That was Boom. Boom, Boom right? Studios. Yes. Which is a fantastic comic. Com- uh, comic yeah. Love their comics. Shout out to Boom Studios. Shout out. Um, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working at this production slash management company. Um, it was not a very good fit. I think we all knew it. I also knew it. I knew it. Um, and I one day started looking for a new job. And one day I got a Twitter message, not a DM, a public tweet at me from somebody that I had never seen before, ever heard, never heard of. And he said, um, hey, would you be interested in being the um, assistant to two drama showrunners? And I was like, delete this tweet and DM me. And it was, and so we DM'd. I looked this guy up on Studio System, which is um, sort of it's this website that is like really expensive uh, that companies will pay for, but it is sort of the like 
private industry database of everyone in entertainment, every project that's going on, what the status is. Like agencies keep their own records of like what's going on. If you don't work at an agency, you don't have access to those databases. And so this is that. It's not 100% accurate, but it's probably the most accurate out of all of the ones yeah, that right. you could have. Sure. So I looked him up on Studio System. I was like, okay, this guy is who he says he is. I see that like he knows some other people on Facebook. I did the whole like connecting the dots. internet like research on like who sleuthing. was yeah, sleuthing on like who was talking to me to make sure it wasn't some person, random person on the internet. And he emailed me and he's like, I'm sorry that this is really weird and we've never met before, but I work for these two showrunners and blah, blah, blah. They've been looking for my replacement and they came across your LinkedIn and then they went from your LinkedIn to I have this like about me page about what my philosophy is in entertainment and I look at it holistically and all this kind of stuff. And they saw that and they really liked it and they wanted me to reach out to you via Twitter. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and God, I was like, I okay. I was like, so <laughs> this is how That's I got fantastic. my job via Twitter. Um, and so I went and I met with them. They were lovely people and they did not hire me. And uh, But their assistant was really disappointed that I didn't get the job. And she said, don't worry. I, we're going to find you a great job. I'm going to help you. He used to be an intern for the executive that I ended up working for when I started at Freeform. And he said, do you know this person? I said, no, I've never heard of them. And he said, I used to be their intern way back in the day. Would you be interested working at this network? I said, absolutely. Why not? And I went in and I got the job. Hey. So that's how I got my job via Twitter. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, yeah. sounds, sounds like the title of a book. How I, how I, how I got a job. It will be in Twitter. Twitter. I was like, that's my TED talk right there. <laughs> right sounds there. Be a change in lives, baby. Yes. 21st century. <laughs> they blame millennials, me, but okay. And and so Freeform is uh, ABC fan or what used to be used ABC family. Used to be family. ABC family. Um, was it free? It was Freeform when you started. Or was it ABC family? Still? It had just become Freeform okay. that January. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And and so what was that experience like? I know you've mentioned briefly uh, earlier, but working for a television network. Yeah, working for a cable network is. Um, I mean, working any TV network, working in broadcast, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. That's, I could never do it. And I respect people that do because they have this thing called pilot season where they make the pilot, they shoot it. Well, first they go through all these rounds of development and all these scripts. Then they decide if they want to go to pilot. And then once they get the pilot, do they want to go to series? And sometimes there's a serious commitment and sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's money against not doing a serious commitment. And it takes place over the shortest amount of time. And you make like all these pilots and only a few of them get picked up. And I do not understand it. And it's so fast and it's so quick and people stay till like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I just, I couldn't do that. Working in cable has a very different pace. And while it is still extremely busy, working at a TV network is not for everyone, but it is at least slower than broadcast. <laughs> and there's no pilot season um, unless certain certain networks have certain times of the year that they will work on pilots or do presentations or things like that. Freeform was not really one of them. And so we were just constantly doing pilots all year round. So that was really interesting. And I just learned sort of like how fast this process actually works and how quickly you need to staff a room. And, you know, we have to do different budgets based on where you want to shoot. We got to do a budget for Toronto. We got a budget for New York. We got a budget for LA. Like, where, how, where are we going to shoot this thing? <laughs> so, you know, we don't have a full cast and we're going to do a table read next week. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I love kind of hearing kind of going through these different positions because how you've taken bits and pieces of for your career as you've gone on and learned new parts of it and 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 been able to use the parts you've already learned mm-hmm. to kind of succeed and, and elevate yourself. And I think it's important to always kind of keep that in mind that you can always learn. There's always things to take a, take in and practice and work on and, and understand in any kind of industry that you're mm-hmm. in. And I think the other thing that I'm also hearing is embrace the camaraderie of the people around you. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that can help you book jobs in other places and stuff. Even if you you know they try and get you a hookup in an office and it doesn't work out. Oh, well, I know another place that would be great for you. Uh, mm-hmm. Really embrace the people around you yeah. and let them teach you as well. For sure. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's even, you know, talking to people that I used to work with or if somebody comes up to me and, and we're chatting and somebody's that I've somebody that I used to work with or a colleague or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm looking for something new. I'm not really happy. And I'm like, well, who can I introduce you to? Like, where do you want to work? And like, let me see if I know people there. And that's just that's just networking and paying it forward and like being a good, decent human being. Cause like if somebody wants to work at CBS and I know somebody at CBS, like why wouldn't I just introduce them them unless I thought one of them was a dick. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and funny enough that you mentioned that the job, that path to free from start on Twitter. That's how we met was on Twitter. was reaching out on Twitter. So (laughs) Twitter bringing people together. I didn't even know how you guys saw my tweet. I was just like, this is cool. (laughs) The tweet that I saw you had, you had a a job uh, offer at the time. It wasn't, I I believe official yet when you tweeted it. Um, so you couldn't say much, but you finally were able to announce that you were a uh, new creative executive for Verve VRV by elation. Yeah. Double L. E double L. A T I O N. It's short for constellation, is what oh. I learned. Oh, there it is. There we um, go. So talk about what is what it what is verve violation yeah. and, so and what what elation, is your job? Yeah. So elation is um, there's been some news about it recently. Elation is a company that is owned by this other entity called Otter Media, which was half AT and T, half Chernin, Peter Chernin, um, or the Chernin Group, and then AT and T bought out the rest of Chernin's half. So now we're just owned by AT&T via Otter Media. And then there's Elation. <laughs> there's this whole thing. Um, Elation has kind of two main parts and a third in the middle. And one of those one of those parts is Crunchyroll, which is um, one of the biggest uh, anime streamers in uh, the world, like for, for American audiences. And that's sort of how it all started. It kind of started with Crunchyroll and then became bigger. Um, and then we have uh, our streaming app, which came out two years ago, which is Verve, VRV, which is a um, geek culture like channel aggregator. Uh, so you get Rooster Teeth and Geek and Sundry and Nerdist and uh, Frederator. And so it's all these different things. I think of it as like Netflix for geeks, Netflix for the Comic-Con crowd. Yeah. Uh, and it's real. It's a really great app. exactly up your alley. It was 100%. Yeah. When I saw the job posting, I was like, I would have written this for myself if someone asked me to do it. And um, yeah, it, it, so that's what Verve is. And both Crunchyroll and Verve are now doing original stuff to live on their platforms. Mm-hmm. So also Crunchyroll has a channel on Verve. So it lives on our platform as well. 
9.99 a month <laughs> for a full package but you can also get the all hustle brought to you by oh my god no don't say it <laughs> i do not have the authority to say that <laughs> um, uh, all of uh, her opinions are her own do not reflect the company that she works for yes. or anybody there within Yes, uh, <laughs> I forever throughout the entire universe, I speak only for myself. It does not necessarily rep the, represent the views of my employees or I mean em- employers. Or yeah. yeah. So, what are your job responsibilities? Yeah. Then, so you know, I'm on day, I'm on week three. Generally, a creative executive, their job is to find scripts that we can make into shows, or pitches, take pitches from writers and production companies that we can make into shows meet with writers that could come up with things that we can have them write shows for or staff on shows, meet directors to direct those episodes um, and find IP that we would then adapt. Uh, so those are sort of the, the main things. Uh, so you have to kind of be in multiple places at once. You have to be in the book world. You have to be in the video game world. You have to be in the comic book world. You have to be in like tabletop games. Like where, like where is that untapped idea that nobody's thought of yet that we can make into something? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are so hungry and desperate for content about things that they already love. And how do we approach that from a multi-platform perspective is really important. And we're not just doing it. Everyone is doing it. I mean, Star Wars is multi-platform. Star Trek's multi-platform. Marvel, multi-platform. Mo- yeah. Totally DC. multi-platform. TV. So, um, no, they have great games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And their animation is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on that Justice League animated TV show. Bruce Tim and Dan DiDio, they know what's up. There we go. Shout out, Bruce Tim. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm available if you guys need assistance or. <laughs> so, you know, that uh, that's sort of the thing that a creative executive would do. So, how does it feel then to go from being the assistant now to being the executive? I don't, I don't, I don't know. You're an executive. No, it's, you're lying. <laughs> You're right. Again, these microphones don't work. This it's is all. all a dream. Um, I still don't know how I feel. Um, it, I'm not. It really hasn't hit me yet. I still am learning how to get out of my assistant mindset, which is, you know, when you're an assistant and you've been doing it for so long, you feel very emboldened to say the things that you need to say and uh, you know when to take the risk and when not to take the risk and you know, there is this catch net of like, well, if something goes wrong, I can always go to my boss and like ask them this question. And you basically have a, you know, a set defined, like, this is my day to day. When you are a creative executive, that is not the case (laughs) at all. Um, And especially when you're in a company that is just starting to do things. Like if, if I had moved up at Freeform in a network, I would have known like there's a process to things and I would know where my place was. Whereas when you're starting at that ground floor, you're kind of like. You're creating that place. Spaghetti method. What's going to stick against that? I have to be targeted, but I also don't know what's going to stick. Yeah. So you have to be very, you have to take this very holistic approach and mindset of trying to consume as much as you possibly can while also still like trying to figure out like, what is my mandate? What do I, what do I go out into the world and present and like what kind of stuff do we want to target uh and you know what is financially viable as well um 
And it's an exciting time in the digital space and in, in apps. And, you know, obviously there are much more established places like Amazon and Hulu and Netflix, but even they are still trying to figure out some of their mandates. Uh, you know, Amazon is trying to get into the YA space, which is something that they decided to do like this year. Um, so it's it's a good time to to be in that world. And Disney is coming out with their own um, direct-to-consumer app. DC just DC. started their own DC universe. Mm-hmm, Apple. And so this is the time, I think, to get into it. So while it is a little nerve-wracking and scary because I'm like, if I was working in TV, I would know exactly what I'm doing. And now I'm not only a brand new executive, but I'm in a brand new field. So, you know, I have a lot to learn. That's also exciting, I think, in some ways, because, again, like you said, starting on the, like, this ground startup, startup kind of growing company, mm-hmm. you can make some of those practices. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you, can, you can be the, the generation, that, that part that develops what other people will follow, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the, uh, in the, in I, the I would hope so. Uh-huh. Uh, I hope and so. even hopefully changes in, like, how the business is run. Yeah. A little bit. So, yeah, unfortunately, you know, my the the head of our original content team, which is just me and her, she's so brilliant and smart and has had a lot of experience. Uh, so I feel like it's in all in good hands. <laughs> so I, I want to slowly kind of start wrapping this up. I don't want to take up too, too, too much of your time today. Yeah. Um, with kind of a softball final question. Okay. How do we fix the industry? <laughs> well, I think you needed to figure out what's broken no, just, about just kidding, it. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Um, but, you know, we we live in a new age right now where uh, uh, the focus on female filmmakers and, and, and women in not only this industry, but other industries and how they're being treated and respected and, 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 uh, uh, looked at as equals mm-hmm. is changing and evolving and growing. Hopefully, mm-hmm. um, how have you handled moments in your past at these various jobs and maybe even in school where maybe you've had a moment where you felt diminished because you were a woman or yeah. uh, uh, pushed aside because of that? How, how have you dealt with that, and how has that affected what you've become? Yeah, you know, I think. And it's not just women, you know, it's LGBTQ and non-binary people and um, who are LGBTQ as well, but uh, and people of color. It's not just women. It's every, you know, it's it's all marginalized people um, and, you know, indigenous people. And, and in terms of examples of my own stuff, um, there are I, let me just put it this way. There are things I'm legally not allowed to talk about. That's how bad it can get. Um, you have things from people saying people don't take you seriously because you have baby face. I've been called homely by a professor. It's not even sort of like directed at you or about you because you're a woman. It's just they feel that they can say whatever they want to you. Like not even about, it's just, they'll say something that has nothing to do with your gender. And it's, but it's so diminishing and shitty and like dismissive and you're like what does that have to do with my ability as a filmmaker or a student or an executive or an assistant or whatever like what does it have to do with anything what does my political view have to do with this or what does my view about a certain comic have to do with my ability to like make good stuff it doesn't it doesn't and that makes me very angry um and what the thing the thing that 
pisses me off the most, though, um, is when people don't listen to your truth or when they you have to expose your own trauma in order to get people to understand that you're not just saying this because it's the thing to say. You know, I was at a production company once where my boss was producing a horror film, like a zombie horror film, and there was a rape device uh, as like this twist. And I was like, absolutely not. We will not be doing that. And I said this in front of him and the two other producers who I'd never met before. And um, they were trying to argue about like that it was a commentary about it. I was like, this is not a commentary about it. Like, I don't want to ever, I don't want to have to sit here and ask you if any of you have been assaulted or raped before, but I can tell you what I have. And I shouldn't have to tell you that to get you to understand that like what I'm saying is legitimately a problem. I shouldn't have to say that this has happened for me to you to take it seriously. I'm telling you it's a problem. You need to take me at base, face value. And that I think is is irritating is when you say, well, I think we need to address this problem because it's or this part of a script because it's problematic for X, Y and Z reasons. And then they're like, well, I don't think it's a problem. And I'm like, well, I shouldn't have to point to like the everyone on Twitter who thinks this kind of stuff is a problem. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's so irritating. I think at the same time, and I've had discussions with a few people, especially my wife about this, where it's when people say things like that or bring things like up like that without knowing what other people have been through yeah, in the room exactly, and are so callous about it. They just assume that it hasn't happened. And it's to like, them. Uh, no, that's not more likely. The case is the opposite. Yeah. Depending, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's important to be able to speak your truth and have your say based on your beliefs and what you want. But people also need to trust that you're professional, that you're not going to be swayed by beliefs unless something truly is wrong, more like deep down morally wrong. Um, and so but then to have to you like you said, to have to bring up your own trauma as evidence mm-hmm. of that is inexcusable that that yeah. should never have to happen it should be you know what you're right i we didn't we didn't even think it that like that and it doesn't you know? even have to be like you know you're right it's it's listen process think about why you may be bumping up against this note and just if you need to take the moment to think about it think about it mm-hmm. you know but but being dis being dismissed because you haven't experienced it or because you think you've done the research or I had one guy say like, oh, well, I've I've watched enough like feminist frequency videos. Like, I know what you're talking about. And I'm like, just because you think you understand what putting a woman in a fridge is doesn't mean that like you're you're still doing it. You are knowingly doing something that is problematic. So, you know, better. And that's also irritating. Um, So and I think it's just, you know, as we've seen, like, I think. A lot of people will see something that is problematic, recognize it's that the other people think it's problematic and go, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And you're like, that's not creative. It's not smart. It's lazy. It's most of all, it's lazy. lazy. It is so lazy. And like, this is not a business for people to be lazy, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I I, I totally agree with you. I, can, uh, I Yeah, I, I have nothing to add. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what you said was just perfect. And now as an executive, 
are there rules that you've kind of set forth with your staff or with well, I don't the have, studio? Or? Yeah, well, I don't have staff. So okay. do, you, do you have I'm an assistant? Me. I meant to ask that. No, 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 no. I hope someday that I, if I have an assistant, that I can be a good mentor and boss and leader to them. But I am a baby executive who is needs to earn that right, I mean, earn that privilege. And uh, hopefully someday. Um, well, you've mentored us today. Oh, yeah. thank you very much. Um, but yeah, it's it's about setting stuff for myself, I think, right now. There's still a lot of things like when I talk to non-binary people or trans people or people of color, I have to make sure that I understand what their truth is and where they're coming from and sort of maybe the language I would have used or a phrase that I would have said may not be the most appropriate and really think about my interactions with those people and how to make them feel welcome and heard and listened to and and understood. Um, And there's still a long way, I think, for me to go uh, and for everyone to go. And so it's about just recognizing that when you step into the room with somebody that is different than you. Finally, one of the uh, portions that we have here is advice. And we just have a few sections here, but would love to just get a few words of advice for each of these sections, uh, the first being, what would you just advise for those struggling with the day-to-day life of living in a major city like L.A. or any other major market? I mean, being somebody who recently was going through this um, and, who, you know, loved ones and friends who still deal with it. It's so interesting now to be on the other side of it because I don't know how I got through it because it sometimes felt completely dark and crushing and lonely um and i think surrounding yourself with people who can remind you of your humanity and remind you that uh you are loved and that even if you have a hard time accepting yourself or loving yourself that other people do and that maybe they can sort of show you how to love yourself um you're gonna have to put in the work and you're gonna have to do it and you're gonna have to power through every day Um, but surrounding yourself with people that help lift you up is extremely important. I'm not going to say that it is the number one thing you should be doing, but it is a thing you should do. Um, how about those like striving to reach, you know, a a creative executive level or uh, a development executive, uh, position, maybe that are still assistants or interns, what piece of advice would you give them? Um, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And it used to be the other way around. Um, I, you know, when I started college, started film school, it was 2007 was the writer strike that the writer strike happened and then the stock market crashed. So not only did you have this like housing bubble, but you also had sort of you had sort of this like TV bubble, film bubble of like that imploded in on itself as well. And so as you saw the 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 wage gap and like gaps between the wealthy and the poor in the United States, you also saw that with the positions in this business, you saw more assistants being paid less money to work for more executives. And you saw more people becoming VPs and presidents and more, and the manager, director, and creative executive jobs were going away um, because they were getting people as assistants to do more work for less money. And it's a sham. And um, so that is why it is taking so long to become an executive now, whereas people were becoming executives after two, three years for, you know, some people were like, when I got into this business, it was like, if you're an assistant for over five years, it was like, what's wrong with you? And now it's like people are 
assistance, you know, if they're starting off right when they're 22, they're being assistants into their 30s. And that is just a fact right now. And hopefully it is not that way forever. Um, but it is something that I think you need to be cognizant of if you want to be an agent, if you want to be a manager, if you want to be an executive, if you want to be on the business side of things, it's it's hard. It is not easy. And some people get lucky. Some people get really lucky and you will not have those problems and you'll end up at a good place and you will get promoted very quickly and it'll be okay. But I would say on the whole, it's taking longer and it has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with your inability or ability to do something. It does not mean you are a bad assistant. It does not mean that you've lost your mojo. It doesn't mean like it just means that like this business is different and the sort of bill of goods you were sold on is not the same anymore. And just it sucks, but this is the way it is. And then finally, um, what advice would you give for women and the uh, looking to get into the industry as you know you can also speak to um the other groups that you've spoken about for lgbtq mm-hmm. or people who are in that group that don't feel represented yeah. um wh- what advice would you give for someone looking to break into this industry i think the, the best i don't know if it's good advice or not but i would say being true to yourself knowing where your boundaries are and knowing what you will and won't sacrifice what what's your line is really important and you have to be really confident in your morals um, and scruples that you just just keep reminding yourself of that and that not to say that people are like well I'm better than that asshole but it's like if somebody's being a dick if somebody's being just shitty just like remember when you're in power you're not going to be like that uh, as, as we kind of wrap up, I just want to say thank you so much for your knowledge, uh, uh, your open and honesty, your openness and your honesty, um, and your just heartfelt, real uh, connection with not only this industry, but the people within it and how much you care about others that are in this industry. And uh, thank you for sharing your story with us from USC <laughs> uh, internships and all to, to where you are now. And uh, uh, Michael and I, and I'm sure everyone that's probably listening wishes you nothing but the best as you move oh. forward in this new journey that you're Thank going you. on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just hearing you talk and how you uh, express yourself. I, I can see nothing but great things for you in the future. And Thank so you. we obviously wish you nothing. Where can people follow your journey uh, follow what you do. Uh, I know, I know you're on a few podcasts here and there and yeah. possibly, uh, down the road, maybe full time, uh, you know, just, uh, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, well, you can always find me on my most active social media, which is on Twitter where I basically yell about the government. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's called at yell at government, at yell at government <laughs> or it's pictures of cats and anime memes. Uh, and I mean, that's pretty much Twitter and no palette cleanser, right? palette cleanser in between. Scream, 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 kitty cat. Scream, 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 kitty cat. Yeah. Andrew will like send DM me like posts about cats and stuff during the day. And I sometimes wonder if it's because he's seen my posts of me getting angry. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's at Hillary Levi, H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-L-E-V-I. That's that's probably where to to find all the things. Uh, Yes, I do make occasional uh, podcast guests. 
uh, Friday Night Quest will be released, which is a D&D real play podcast, which I will be regular on. Yay. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And, and I would love to eventually have you back on our podcast, you know, once, you know, right now you're at the very beginning mm-hmm. of your journey as a creative executive. Can only imagine what great things are about to happen and what more you're going to learn. Yeah. We'll have to do like, with, where with are the they time. now? Oprah yeah, episode. Exactly. So. Why is she working at a Jimmy John's? What happened? <laughs> Things took a oh turn. Oh my God. I would not want to work at a Jimmy John's. <laughs> Things took a real turn for Hillary. Even though I really do like their sandwiches. <laughs> yes. So. Well, thank you again, Michael. Thank you so much as always. Thank you for having me, Daniel. But before we go, at the beginning of this podcast, before we start recording, I asked you for six numbers between one and 167. Yep. And I think more than ever, I'm so glad that we have this part of the show on here because it's always a nice way to end. But before Facebook, but after Friendster, there was a wonderful place that people would go to spend time and waste time called MySpace. Oh, yes. People would have fight over who was their top six or top eight. It's top eight when I was <laughs> when I was on it. Tom was always your friend and you yep. had to wait forever for somebody's uh, profile to, to come up while you were listening to All Star by Smash Mouth. Yes. Now, yes. Uh, again, I, I found a quiz with 167 questions that was from MySpace. <gasps> Back when quizzes didn't have results, it was just to waste time. And, and you, like, tell people about yourself. About like, yourself. On my, I've had that on my Zanga. There you go. <laughs> and you posted, and it's just there. Also, uh, real quick, Hillary has a Quora if you want to ask her questions. <laughs> <laughs> just go on Quora and search Hillary Levi, and you can ask her questions about you the industry. Or you could uh, just ask me on Twitter. I, I told her this on the phone because I do pre-interview phone calls with all our guests. <laughs> One of my favorite questions on there was, do I need to be good at math to work in film? <laughs> and your answer. I like, thought that, think my answer was thoughtful. No, your answer was fantastic. It was so way more thoughtful than mine would have been probably. <laughs> uh, it was very great. So if you want to know, do you need to know math to be in this industry? <laughs> go to her Quora and read her answer because it's actually very well written and very well said. I never think that anybody like actually reads my Quora answers, but there's so many like, old like 65 year old dudes <laughs> that like worked in the industry like millions of years ago and like have opinions about that and i'm like that is not accurate and, and anymore they have, and they have and she has some there's some really good questions on there that she answers yeah. very well so definitely check it out um but anyways um so the first question are you ready for your I myspace am, quiz yes number one what was the last song you listened to um it's a song by uh the ba- a band called the midnight it's called america Two. all right nice what time did you wake up this morning? Quarter to four. I'm sorry, quarter to five, maybe 4.30. How tall are you? Five foot three. I love it. It's just uh, quick <laughs> answers. Um, have you ever changed clothes in the car? Yes. And next question. What year has been your best year? Uh, um, despite everything that happened that year with like just the election um 2016 because that is uh andrew's my first year being together (laughs) and hillary your final myspace question i'm ready have you ever had a crush on someone at work oh yeah and that is your myspace quiz (laughs) (laughs) thank you everybody for listening hillary once again thank you so much follow her she is amazing she is just always she posts great stuff and she obviously has great opinions ask her questions on her Quora and just see what happens with her in the future which I'm sure will be great thank you so much uh, and uh, back to you and Michael in the studio by you and Michael who's in the mic by you and me yeah in the studio in the studio doing back things to back to us right now you're probably on the phone with your mom right now right now <laughs>
All right, and that is our first interview of 2019. Thank you, Hillary Levi, for coming on. I actually reached out to her on Twitter, and she was just so gracious and kind to come on and share her story. Make sure you guys listen to next week, our Side Hustle 2.0, where Michael and I will catch you up on what's going on in our hustles, what's inspiring our hustles, and we'll discuss the episode a little bit and what we took away from our interview with Hillary Levi. That's every other week, Side Hustle 2.0s. Do not miss them. They are awesome. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast and Twitter at LA Hustlecast. You can also follow us personally at Daniel Tuttle on both platforms and at Michael Lutheran on both platforms. And follow Hillary at Hillary Renee on Instagram and at Hillary Levi on Twitter. She's amazing. She has some other outside creative projects that she works on, some podcasts and other things. So make sure you follow her. She is amazing and fantastic and a huge supporter of podcasts, which is always great. Again, make sure you're telling everyone about the show so we can grow our League of Hustle and that you are subscribed on your preferred platform so you're always getting the episodes as they come out. Well, guys, that is it for now. Thank you so much for listening to Hollywood Hustle. Make sure you're out there. Make sure you're grinding. And as always, keep up the hustle. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Hollywood Hustle podcast. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer, and Michael Lutheran edited this podcast. For more information, you can always check us out at www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. 